Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, the listeners of Foreign Policy Talks podcast. Thank you so much for being the loyal listeners of this podcast. So today is the 50th episode, a special episode, and uh, we're going to talk about a very important topic, which is uh, last week uh, is actually an interesting week for all of us, the, the, foreign, um, the foreign policy enthusiasts in Indonesia and some other parts of the world. Uh, that we have two important summits, the G7, the, the G7 summit in Cornwall, United Kingdom, and the Putin-Biden summit in Geneva. And it sparked a critical question, actually, has the United States truly come back? And uh, today, to discuss about this question, I'm very grateful of having Professor David Dunn, uh, Professor in International Politics and Director uh, sorry, Professor in International Politics from the Department of Political Science and International Studies at the University of Birmingham. How are you, Professor Dunn? I'm very well, thank you. All right, Professor Dunn, um, let me start by asking you this. Uh, what does the G7 summit mean to world diplomacy? Is it simply the sign of uh, G7 foreign resilience or more than that is a renewed commitment of democratic nation to reinvigorate the liberal world order? What do you think? I think this meeting in Cornwall in this year was a whole variety of things rolled together. It was essentially an opportunity to re-establish diplomatic contact at the highest level. It was in a year of when uh, uh, 18 months when uh, senior leaders haven't had a chance to meet. It was that opportunity to actually come together and have intensive face-to-face -face interactions and because of the, uh, the, the fact that there hadn't been meetings at this level up to this point, it was a one that had particular significance. So it was an opportunity to review where we were in a new administration in America, in a, a new situation uh, in the middle of the pandemic, and a, a, an opportunity for uh, you know, wider democracies, because it wasn't just the G7, it was other uh, democracies were invited to the meeting as well. And in fact, it was part of a concerted um, program of activities with, as you rightly said, the two most important summits at either end, the G7 at one end and the uh, US-Russia one at the other. But also there was meetings bilaterally, a UK-US summit, there was an, a US-EU summit and a US-NATO summit. So there was a whole series of activities that took place over an intensive week of activity that were about uh, re-establishing US leadership, about re-establishing uh, the, the community of democracies and uh, and re-establishing diplomacy uh, after the, the, the period of inactivity at this level due to the pandemic. So a number of things came together in this tumultuous week. All right. Uh, seeing from the results uh, of the G7 summit uh, last week, uh, what are the major threats perceived by the G7 countries today, Professor Don? Is it climate change, China, Russia? You are saying that we are now in a new situation given to the COVID pandemic, you're saying that we have a new administration in the United States, which is going to be very influential to the world diplomacy today. So what uh, do we have an, a new threats perceived by the G7 countries, Professor Don? 
I think we do. I, I think what this is, is uh, a, as well as the, those series of meetings, there's a recognition uh, of uh, the, the, the rise of a new set of challenges. I mean, the, really, for, for much of, of this century, there has been a perception that uh, there has been a, a more of a liberal world order uh, or hegemonic world order or a, a, a continuation of the post-Cold War order, which is characterized by uh, not that being many challenges or threat. But in the last 18 months, two years, the perception of that has changed and it has changed for a variety of reasons. The pandemic, I think, is, is front and center. And the pandemic, uh, the, the, you know, the COVID challenge has, has, has many dimensions. And, and that, of course, is the most immediate challenge that the G7 were forced to, to address. How to deal with the, 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 the pandemic itself, how to actually manage the, the distribution of vaccines and in order not to actually prolong the pandemic itself or indeed to exacerbate inequalities on a global scale. And of course, how to plan the economic recovery because the COVID crisis is as much an economic crisis as it is a, a world health crisis. But the pandemic has also made us realize actually that, that there are existential threats, there are real issues uh, out there that can disrupt massively the way in which we think the world uh, uh, should run and, and has, been, has been running uh, for, uh, for, for most of, the, of, of our lifetimes. And therefore the, the pandemic has made people aware of the need to actually think about climate change and the pace of climate change, the, the, the fact that we have a very uh, small window in which to actually arrest the rate of global warming uh, has also made that a, a major uh, crisis. And the, 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 the awareness of, 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 of climate, of course, has made um, more, more, more difficult by the fact that actually so much money has and, and so much debt has been built up dealing with the short term crisis, which by comparison is the minor crisis. Uh, and yet there is a need to also pledge to, to deal with the, the longer term existential uh, uh, crisis of climate change. And then, of course, so you've got these two things which are, are systemic, which are, uh, in a sense, uh, um, not a consequence of uh, um, malign human action. And at the same time as that, you've also got dealing with Russia and China. And here you have a mirror image. You have the, the difficulty of dealing with a declining power and difficulty of, of dealing with a rising power. Difficulty of dealing with, with the, the declining power is that this declining power, Russia, sees its best interests as being a disruptive uh, force on the world stage, be, being a, a one that tries to actually discredit and disrupt the practicing of, of democracy and the world economy. And th th there has been inconsistent messages towards Russia. And Mr. Biden was, was very keen to try and uh, use this week of summits to actually get a consistent message to take to uh, the Russian leader when he met him in Geneva. And then of course, the other uh, issue is the rise of, of China. Uh, in that there is a, a, a new um, a major economy and a major military power and a one which, again, sees its uh, position in the world uh, as, as one which it wants to actually develop 
global bases, global reach, a, a blue water navy, and of course also as is demonstrating uh, concern to many of its a Asian and uh, 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 neighbours by the way in which it has territorial aspirations in the South China Seas and indeed towards Taiwan, so it, which of course it regards as part of, of, of the greater China. So there's a whole variety of, of, of issues that are intertwined and which need to be dealt with, uh, not necessarily in a, which is the most important, all of these things need to be dealt with and all of these need to be dealt with in concert. And of course, how you deal with Russia has an influence on how you deal with China, because having uh, Russia be uh, in line with uh, the, the Western countries in, in managing the, the, uh, uh, both climate change and the rise of China will be better than having uh, pushing Russia into uh, a closer position uh, with China or indeed becoming more awkward with regard to climate change, given the fact that the Russian economy is largely based on the sale of petrochemicals. So all of these things are, are intertwined and all of these things are massive challenges for global governance uh, and and that, that's what the, this week of summary was trying to actually get some headway on. All right, interesting. Uh, you were saying that China has a high percentage of the G7 countries' future plans. And uh, are we seeing any strategy of the G7 countries in facing uh, China's growing political and economic influence, Professor Don? Yes, I, I think what, what, what I mean, for, for, for most of the, of the uh, of China's rise, there has been a, a willingness to uh, to give China the benefit of the doubt, uh, to actually not press hard on uh, the, the uh, intellectual property theft that that, that many allege has, has gone on with regard to China, uh, the way in which uh, the Chinese have, have manipulated their currency to actually allow the, 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 their economy to grow at the pace in which it has grown. That there's been an expectation on the, on the part of, of certainly the, the, uh, the George W. Bush administration and the Obama administration that, uh, that the, uh, uh, it was more important to allow China to grow and to become more uh, Western and potentially become more democratic and to become more supportive of the liberal rules-based international order. And therefore, there was a degree to which uh, the, the the, the concerns about other aspects of China's behavior were turned a blind eye to. Uh, that's changed, partly because of, of, of the way in which it seems that, that China is no longer regarded as inevitably becoming more liberal and more supportive of the international order. The way in which China is behaving towards uh, uh, human rights in its own country and the way in which it's cracking down on the freedoms in Hong Kong, the way in, in which it, it, it is behaving in terms of the South China Seas, uh, all of these things uh, raise concerns that actually uh, China cannot be assumed to be a benign player, cannot be assumed to actually rise in a, a gentle way and under uh, Xi Jinping as actually taking a more aggressive uh, uh, approach the, you know, the whole wolf um, warrior diplomacy uh, is is a, a concern for the West, and so there there, there has been a a concerted effort on behalf of the, the the democracies to actually take a second look at China and to actually coordinate policies 
uh, uh, towards China in a way that, that recognizes that, that, uh, uh, that, the, that China presents a, a variety of new challenges uh, to the, the, the rules-based international order. Uh, do you expect China will give um, you know a respond to this uh, um, growing proximity between uh, the U.S. alliances in Europe and also the the meeting between uh, uh, Biden, uh, Biden and Putin and and Geneva? I think yeah. I mean, we, we saw that this week that that, that you know, China, through uh, its usual outlets, has made a lot of noises that, that it's very unhappy with with what it regards as an illegitimate ganging up on it by by NATO, by the Western countries, by the democracies, uh, and has, has indicated uh, that that, uh, you know, that you know this won't end well. Um, that, that I think was expected uh, you know, by the, the American uh, uh, administration and its allies. Uh, but it's about, you know, and, and what we're having here is, is both sides signaling to each other uh, that, that uh, they, they know it's what the other one's doing. And that's part of what diplomacy is about. And, and what we're seeing here is, is new lines being drawn uh, in the in the relationship between the democracies uh, and China, and and this represents a uh, a new departure in many ways from what has gone before. So you know this is in some ways a a um, a, a, a crucial uh, d- dividing point between uh, the the activities uh, of the democracies uh, towards China and China's response to that, uh, and it's important. That, that, that Biden did this because the, the diplomacy of the, his predecessor, Mr. Trump, was, was so inconsistent and, uh, and so difficult to read uh, that actually you know, people, people wondered how much of an aberration the Trump administration was. And yet it, it, what we've seen with the Biden administration is that, that that hardening of the line towards China wasn't just Trump. It was actually a recognition of the need to actually respond in a different way to what China is doing, and it wasn't just the the, the aberrations of a a neophyte and slightly eccentric president. Right, interesting. Let's talk about the new administration in the U.S., uh, Professor Dunn. Uh, we know that Pre- President Biden was very loudly and proudly stated that America is back. He reaffirmed his commitment by. Uh, convening some important leaders meeting among the U.S. global friends and alliance since his seat in the White House, like the Quad, for, for instance. So it comes to a, a very critical question, which is also the title of this interview. Has the United States truly come back, Professor Don? It's a very good question. And I think uh, it's not one that we can answer very simply. Yeah. Uh, I think what, we, what we've seen with Mr. Biden is a concerted effort to say uh, everything his, he does, his demeanor, his uh, his policies, uh, the fact that he doesn't even mention his predecessor, uh, uh, the, the fact that, it, that he's trying to re-establish American leadership, the choreographed nature of all those meetings, all this, all this the, 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 last week, were about making that statement that that that, that the, the status quo ante prevails, that we actually have returned to where we are. We can just you know turn the clock back four years and America is offering leadership. So the meetings that, that took place, for example, at, at, at NATO and with the EU were constructive, 
policy driven. Uh, if, if you look at the photographs that, that were released between the meeting between him and Putin, it was a, a whole lot of officials around the table talking about in detail a lot of policy issues rather than just the the the. Uh, the, 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 and the contrast between the, the, the choreographed meetings that we saw and between what, what happened with Trump, where Trump just met and didn't have an agenda and, and just talked in general terms, or he berated NATO over their, the, the lack of funding. Uh, what we saw here is detailed coordinated policy and a, a way of saying, OK, we are engaged. We're engaged for the future on a whole variety of issues across a whole variety of agendas. So that was the very much the, 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 the thrust of what the Biden administration wanted to achieve. But nevertheless, there is well, undoubtedly the, the big question about America's role uh, in the international system that is left over from the end of the Trump administration. And that comes in a variety of forms. The fact not, wasn't just the fact that we had a disruptive uh, a, a, a president who was a, 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 a America first nationalist uh, in the White House. It was the fact that, that, that 72 million people voted for him a second time. Right. And then the, 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 uh, the uh, other aspects of that, with the storming of the Capitol, America's democracy itself is in question. And adding to that, since the, the, the events of January the 6th, it, it seems that Trump's control of the Republican Party has strengthened, not weakened. Uh, and therefore, what you have in America is where half the people believe the, the election was stolen, or a large number of people, the, the, the legitimacy of the election process in America is, is in question and has been uh, 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 disputed. You have a, a, one of the major parties, a formerly internationalist party, believing in these conspiracies, believing in uh, the, the agenda that Mr. Trump has set. And therefore, it, it, that really raises a question for, for America's friends and foes alike as to what happens in you know, two and a half years time when there's another presidential election and when America is faced with the question of who, who it elects and, and whether it believes the result. So you have the irony of Mr. Biden uh, you know, rallying the democracies, arguing for liberal values and democratic values and promoting democratic values, when actually there's a real problem with American democracy at home uh, and, and that could actually undermine the future role of, a, of the United States uh, unless those problems are addressed. And there seems no willingness on the Biden administration to tackle those issues head on. Uh, and therefore, you know, whether America is back really depends on whether America can sort its own act out, its own house, put its own house together in a way that actually would restore America to the place it was previously viewed as being, or whether America is, is in many ways a, a divided, fractious, politicized, and troubled democracy uh, on the world stage. All right. Uh, I'd like to continue with the interesting uh, commitment made by the United States and the United Kingdom. So both countries were signing a new Atlantic Charter, and uh, some commitments stated in the Charter are talking about defending democracy, working together to bolster collective security in the face of challenges such as uh, cyber attacks and climate change. 
What does the Charter mean for the global stability and also efforts to solve the world challenges, Professor Dunn? Shall we feel optimistic to these two major powers' cooperation in the foreseeable future? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that, that uh, Washington offered uh, this uh, particular formulation uh, as the culmination of the meeting between the UK and the US. And it's harking back 80 years to the first Atlantic Charter mm. in 1941 between uh, Roosevelt and Churchill, which laid the foundations for the principles and indeed the institutions uh, of the, the post-war uh, uh, world, post world order and about democracy, the founding of the United Nations, uh, the uh, democratic principles, self-determination, all, all of, of, of those things. And uh, it's, it's, it's slightly ironic, I think, and that the, the, uh, at that stage, Britain and America were major powers, the internationalism wasn't in doubt, and they were at, about to shape the world order. Contrast that to 2021, you have America, which is, I say, a troubled democracy, uh, split at home, uh, questioning the legitimacy of a democratic process. And you have in the United Kingdom, a country that is now uh, left the EU, is disputing the agreement it reached with the EU over the Northern Ireland Protocol, is seen as uh, going its own way on world trade and and is uh, in the form of Boris Johnson is uh, showing its own form of populism. I mean, it's really interesting that before the G7 meeting, the last world leader that Boris Johnson met uh, was uh, was uh, uh, Urban from, from Hungary, uh, who is someone who is a, 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 a very controversial figure, a, a populist, and not necessarily someone regarded as, as, a, as a, a very democratic, uh, supportive uh, person. And uh, the, the, uh, the, the, this, this uh, new Atlantic Charter was, a, a, in some ways, an attempt to hark back to a, 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 an era of when the, the UK and the US were bigger and more respected than they are now uh, as a way of tr trying to actually make them look more important than the, they, they perhaps are in the world system. So it, 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 was, a, it was an odd thing to have done. It was, it, it was a, a thing which, which uh, you know, may well have been designed to actually make the UK feel better given that the UK is, is worried about uh, its, its status in, in, the, in the world and with America in, in particular, given the fact that, that Joe Biden has said unpleasant things about Mr. Johnson and that the, the, his administration has uh, been privately uh, lecturing uh, London over the need to fall in line with its international commitments with regard to Northern Ireland in a way which indicates that that relationship is in a less good place uh, than it previously has been as a consequence of the particular form of Brexit that, that Mr. Johnson has chosen to, to pursue and the way in which he is uh, pursuing uh, the, the relations with the, the, the EU, particularly with regard to Northern Ireland. Well, interesting. Um, uh, my last question, Professor Dunn, 
um, it's all about uh, Biden and Putin's summit. Uh, we know that Russia is one of the biggest threats for the United States. Uh, so after seeing the summit last week, do you see a significant difference for the United States-Russia relationship in the coming years uh, compared to what Trump in the past four years had, for instance? I think what uh, Mr. Biden was keen to do mm. was to uh, put U.S.-Russian relations on a, uh, a clear foundation. What we had uh, for the last four years is a president who was massively inconsistent in the way in which he dealt with most uh, issues, in fact, but, but in, the, in this case, the, the, the applying this to U.S.-Russia relations. Uh, he was someone who, at his press conference in Helsinki, this is, this is uh, Trump, uh, sided with the Russian leader rather than his own intelligence agencies. He was someone who seemed remarkably reluctant ever to criticize uh, Russia uh, in public. Uh, and, and yet the way in which he conducted diplomacy by tweets, you had a situation whereby he was often at odds with his own bureaucracy. So you had the State Department and you had uh, American embassies around the world and American representatives at NATO saying one set of things and Mr. Trump through tweets saying things that were entirely at odd with those. And therefore, for the last four years, US-Russian relations have been uh, a, a confused situation. And what Mr. Biden, and uh, choosing to meet with Mr. Putin was doing was saying there will be one voice and that voice is this and you had better understand that that here are the red lines uh, so for example he said to mr putin uh, we've just had one of our major uh, pipeline uh, in america uh, hacked by malware uh, 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 and uh, we didn't like that would you like that if that happened to you and Mr. Putin said no. And the message was very clear. You know, would you like that to happen to you? If you keep doing this, it may well happen to you. Uh, and so what Biden was doing was laying down clear markers. You know, you know this will not be tolerated. Uh, that, that, yeah, and, and you should understand uh, the limits of what you can get away with. Because now we have a consistent policy towards Russia on a whole variety of things. Now, there was also an opportunity for uh, uh, joint working together on arms control, on START in particular, but actually also on the rules about uh, uh, when you, we, will, we will tolerate um, uh, cyber interference. Uh, 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 critical infrastructure is off, 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 uh, off limit. Democracy interfering is off limit. Uh, and if, if, you, if those things are transgressed, be clear, there will be clear consequences of those actions. So it was about an opportunity to, to do several things. It was, in many ways, the whole week was a buildup to the meeting with Putin. It was, I'm going to uh, uh, clearly get the backing, get solidarity with all my allies on these issues, and then go to Geneva and meet Putin and speak with all that authority on behalf of all of the West and say enough is enough on a variety of issues and know that we will not tolerate this disruptive behavior if you continue to do so. However, there are also opportunities for us to work together. Now, some people have, have written on this and said that, that 
the one-to-one meeting, uh, the interpersonal diplomacy that went with these was an opportunity for a reset in relations. I think that entirely misses the, the, uh, the, the point of what Biden was doing. There was very low expectations on this meeting. There was never going to be any sort of breakthrough, any bonhomie, any, any looking into each other's souls as, as, as George W. Bush said of Putin 20 years ago. That was never a, a, a prospect. What there was instead was a hard hitting uh, act of diplomacy of saying, no, that if you behave this way, there will be consequences. It was clear communication of limits of behavior. And, and sometimes in diplomacy, that's what is necessary. It's not all a, a question of, of breakthroughs and, and, and improved relations. It was actually a case of knowing where we stand. And that's what it was about. There's no expectations that the US-Russia relations are going to improve anytime soon, because in many ways, they're fundamentally at odds. What you have is on the one hand, America wanting to reestablish this rules-based international order. And on the other, you have a, a, a Russia who believes that, that actually democracy is a threat to him. He doesn't believe in democracy. He actually wants to disrupt the, the democracies from acting in concert, and he will try and do anything he can through supporting uh, rogue statements or, or interfering in elections uh, or, or any other sort of actions that, that disrupt those things. So there's very little opportunity for them to be, uh, to come together on a range of issues. There is scope for range of issues, for some issues, for example, arms control, but, but fundamentally, it's about laying down the rules of the engagement going forward. And I suspect that, that, that uh, Biden was successful in delivering that message, whether, whether Putin responds to that, uh, will will be a test of, of time. And if he transgresses again, then America will have to follow through and, and respond to those things. But you know, there is a, a, a troubled relationship between the democracies in America and, and Russia. And, uh, and, and that, that's what was on display this week, I think, in Geneva. Amazing. It was an amazing conversation with you, uh, Professor David Dunn. From our conversation, we know that the summits last week, it was a manifestation of the concerted uh, program of activities and also concerted sets of efforts to solve the global challenges, to rebuild the U.S. global alliance, to uh, reaffirm the commitments of the world advanced economies and the world's uh, largest democracies uh, against the, the major challenges, the threats that you said earlier about the China, about Russia, and it's worth to explore the future um, maneuvers of the U.S. president uh, and also the G7 countries, uh, particularly in uh, you know rejuvenating in the relationship with uh, different countries from different parts of the world, including uh, to Asia and Southeast Asia or ASEAN, which is we haven't heard so far a uh, part of uh, the Quad meeting. So thank you so much, uh, Professor Dunn. It was nice talking to you. I believe the listeners get a lot of knowledge and insights about the summits last week. Um, and please stay safe, Professor Dunn. Thank you.